0: Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the March 5th, 2018 edition of the Weekly Top 3, our weekly 15-minute-ish podcast covering the top three things in our mind as we make the turn from the past week to the one ahead. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week you can follow and participate in the discussion with us of news and commentary on these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition. By following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. You also can find this and past episodes of the weekly top three on our YouTube and SoundCloud pages and on my website at bgkeithley.com. This week, our top three issues are these First, why the administration's and Senate's explanation for cutting the PFD is silly. Second, the merits of POMV. And third, Alaska's Congressional Delegation, and the National Debt. Our first segment this week is about why the administration and Senate's explanation for cutting the PFD is silly. It arises from a piece in the Anchorage Daily News last week by Nat Hertz uh, that was titled A $5,000 PFD Check. As boosters push for it, lawmakers dismiss it as an instant gratification. The article uh, explains, uh, or the article discusses, the proposal by some that the legislature this year pay not not only pay a full PFD this year, but but pay the amounts that were cut the last two years. The total would be about a five thousand uh, dollar per FD per PFD check. In responding to that, it's a great article, and if you haven't read it, uh, you should. In responding to that. Uh, the administration, Pat Pitney, talks about how if they paid out, if the administration or the legislature paid out this amount uh, out of the PF, out of the earnings reserve, that it would drain the earnings reserve. This is an argument that we have heard both the administration and various members of the Senate, State Senate, argue from time to time that we just can't afford to pay these PFDS any longer because it would drain the earnings reserve. And it would result in the end of the PFD uh, program. Let's make clear. Let's make something clear. The PFD program, as it's been operating since the early nineteen eighties, is just fine. The if if that's all that was going on, sufficient money comes into the earnings reserve each year to to cover the PFDs. It always has, and except under extreme circumstances, usually always would. It's not the PFD that represents the danger to the PFD program, it's the fact that the government is now coming into the earnings reserve and is going to start taking a portion of the earnings reserve for government. That's, that's why this issue is arising. It has nothing to do with the PFD. The PFD program, as it's statutorily constituted, could keep on going forever. Now, we're we're fine, as we've argued on previous programs, we're fine with the government coming in and taking a portion of the earnings reserve. Governor Hammond contemplated that at the outset when he talked about 50% being available for the citizens through the PFD program and 50% being available for government when oil was no longer sufficient to do so. There are some issues, we'll talk about it in the next segment when we talk about POMV, there are some issues around how the current statute would operate once government start, starts taking its 50%. And there are some reasons to make some adjustments to the PFD as a result of that. But what's really driving the, this, this, this claim that the PFD, that, that by if we kept the PFD going, uh, it would drain the earnings reserve what's really driving that is the fact not only is government coming in to the earnings reserve to take a portion of the earnings reserve they want to take more than 50 percent of the of the revenues being generated uh, each year that are that are coming into the earnings reserve well yes if you try to keep the PFD going at 50 percent and government wants to take more than 50 percent well that's over a hundred percent. The Senate wants to take essentially seventy-five percent of the draw each year for government. So, if you tried to keep the PFD at fifty percent and government took seventy-five percent of the annual draw, that's one hundred and twenty-five percent of annual draw. And yes, you will if you take one hundred and twenty-five percent of it each year of the of the annual draw each year. You will drain the earnings because you're taking twenty-five that additional twenty-five percent each year out of the earnings reserve but that's not the PFD's fault. That's the fault of government coming into the earnings reserve in the first place and then government wanting to take more than 50% uh, of the the permanent fund earnings reserve uh, annual uh, contribution of the earnings reserve in the second place. It's not the PFD. And to say that we have to cut the PFD in order to retain the PFD, you have to kill the PFD in order to retain the PFD, which is essentially what their argument is, 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 is leaving aside, uh, is trying to ignore the cause of the problem, which is government spending levels, which require you coming into the, the government coming into the earnings reserve in the first place. And then an excessive draw by government over Hammond's original 50%, um, uh, uh uh, coming into the uh, earnings reserve and taking that on top of the PFD. One more point to make on this when government comes in and takes more than 50% from the earnings reserve, the earnings reserve draw, they're making a choice to take new revenues uh, out of the PFD, cut the PFD, and take those new revenues out of the PFD. You've heard us talk about this before, but it's important to make the point again. ICER's analysis has said that act, cutting the PFD in order to move that money to government, cutting the PFD to less than 50% in order to move that money to government, uh, has the, quote, largest adverse impact, close quote, on the overall Alaska economy, and is, quote, by far the costliest to Alaska families, close quote, of all of the various new revenue options, period. In other words, when the administration and the Senate says that they need to cut your PFD, not only are they saying that government has a right to more than 50%, they're saying, and we're going to exercise that right in the worst possible way, in the way that hurts the economy the most, and in the way that hurts Alaska families the most. There are other options that ICER analyzed, that we've talked about for raising new revenues, if you need to raise new revenues that have a lower impact on the overall economy and a lower impact on Alaska families. One of those is the flat tax. And in some program, we'll talk about that at length. But not only not only is this whole argument that the PFD, you have to cut the PFD in order to save it, not only is this whole argument bogus, but the rationale For making the argument in the first place, that is, cutting the PFD in order for government to take more money is is exactly the wrong thing to do, especially in the midst of a recession. It has the worst, uh, largest adverse effect on the overall economy and is by far the costliest to Alaska families. Our second issue this week is the merits of a POMV percent of market value. Those of you who follow these issues, know that one of the alternatives that have been discussed for dealing with the the permanent fund going forward as government comes in and starts to take a share of the permanent fund earnings um, is converting the the draw, the the mechanism by which we draw money from the permanent fund uh, to a percent of market value. Basically, that procedure is, uh, as outlined in SB 26, the way the Senate has outlined it, and the House largely the same way. Is you average the value of the market value of the permanent fund over the last five years to make sure you don't you're you're, you're eliminating any temporary up and down up ups and downs, and then you multiply that by a given percentage, um, and that is five percent, four point seven five percent, five point two five percent. It's a lot of percents out there, but you multiply it by whatever you agree the percentage is, and that's your draw. That's all percent of market value is. It has nothing to do with the calculation uh, of, of what share the PFD gets. All percent of market value does is tell you what the draw is. There are There's a lot of debate about that. Some people are concerned about it. Some people favor it. Here's our perspective on it. The current statute has oper- operated well as long as government hasn't come in to take a share of the earnings. Now that we're to the point where government is going to take a share of the earnings reserve, and again, this is consistent with Hammond's original vision of 50% to citizens, 50% to government, when, when oil is no longer sufficient to fund government. When government comes into that and starts taking its 50%, there's a problem under the current statute. And the problem has to do with inflation proofing. Inflation proofing is a mechanism by which you take uh, a portion of the earnings and put it back into the principal, back into the corpus in order to compensate for the effects of inflation. I can go into this in some detail in a future segment if anybody's really interested. But inflation proofing is a concept that, uh, that, that has merit to it. It's not clear that the inflation-proofing mechanism we've used over time is an accurate measure of the impact of inflation on the permanent fund principle. Uh, frankly, I think that the that, that inflation-proofing should have been less over time, but but we have a provision in the um, in the in the calculation of the permanent fund for uh, inflation-proofing. The statute provides that inflation-proofing, which is roughly twenty-five percent. Of the earnings stream every year, uh, that inflation proofing come out of the government share, the other 50% uh, of the of the permanent fund earnings. And so when you look at the 50-50 split that Hammond talked about talked about, uh, what's really been going on under the current statute is 50% of the earnings have been going to citizens, 25% has gone sort of to government by being retained in the earnings reserve. And 25% has gone back into the to the permanent fund corpus, back into the principal uh, for inflation proofing. That's been okay up until now, as long as government doesn't need its 50%. But when government starts coming into the earnings reserve and needs its 50%, there isn't 50% there under the current statute. 25% of it is sort of looping in and going right back out uh, to the permanent fund principal. So, gov- so if you kept the current statute in place, the citizens would get 50%, and government would only get 25% if we, if we tried to apply what the current statute says. That's a problem. It's a problem uh, to government because they're not getting their full 50%, and frankly, that creates additional pressure because government doesn't get its full 50%. That creates additional pressure for them either to take a part of the PFD or to have taxes to sort of fill in that gap. The correct way to, to to deal with that is to say, well, inflation proofing benefits both sides. It, it grows the fund, grows earnings, and benefits both sides. So it ought to be taken equally out of the PFD portion, the citizens' portion of the earnings, and equally out of the government's portion of the earnings, so that the remainder of the earnings after you take out inflation proofing, after you take out that. 25% for inflation proofing would be split equally between the, the citizens in the form of the PFD and government. That, that makes sure that government doesn't bear the entire cost uh, and it makes sure that, that the, the earnings remaining after inflation proofing, which is really what we ought to be talking about, is split equally between inflation, b- between the citizens uh, and government. Once you do that, once you look at that analysis, we've run that analysis, once you look at the numbers on that, actually, POMV turns out to be a better way of doing inflation proofing than trying to reconfigure the statute to accommodate that. What POMV does is give you a better measure of inflation, uh, frankly, than the inflation proofing mechanism that's in the statute currently has done. Uh, it, it reduces the amount slightly uh, that's set aside for inflation. Uh, and so it increases the amount that's remaining after inflation proofing for both the citizens, the PFD share, and for uh, government share. So for that reason, we actually have, have favored going to POMV uh, as a mechanism for determining what the draw is. But let me emphasize, POMV has nothing to do, should have nothing to do, with what the split is between government and citizens once you determine what the draw is, all POMV does is say, "Here's your earnings stream, if you will, or here's your draw uh, from the. This is what we're going to take from the permanent fund each year: five percent, four point seven five percent, five point two percent. Here's the draw we're going to take from the from the uh, earnings reserve to set aside for citizens and government. And it's an entirely different question that has nothing to do with POMV about what the share ought to be between government uh, and the citizens at that point. The Senate and the governor, frankly, and the House to some degree, have confused that. They've jumbled it all together. When they talk about POMV by saying, by by essentially combining the effect of POMV to reconfigure the draw to be after inflation proofing, with them the split. So to them, when you hear the term POMV, they're essentially saying both. That we ought to reconfigure to account for inflation proofing, and cut the PFD from fifty percent of the earnings stream to twenty-five percent. That's the Senate's proposal. Uh, that's wrong. POMV only applies to the draw from the earnings, and the the it's an entirely separate issue about how that draw, once made, should be split between the citizens and government. Uh, the Senate's trying to. Essentially, piggyback up the Senate and the administration are essentially trying to piggyback up on what is a legitimate concern, how to deal with inflation proofing, a legitimate solution to that, POMV, and then piggyback up and sort of say, oh, and and we also need to cut the PFD as part of that. Not necessary. Two entirely separate issues. And we'll talk about that more. Uh, We'll talk about that division more. Well, we've talked about it a lot. We'll talk about it more in the weeks ahead. Our final issue is a federal issue. Alaska's congressional delegation, and the national debt. While Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets has largely focused on state issues, uh, almost exclusively on state state issues uh, for its first five years or so, increasingly over the past few months, we have turned our attention also to national issues as national fiscal issues have have taken the fore. Uh, And as some of you will have seen, these past couple of weeks, uh, we authored an editorial that's appeared among other places in the Anchorage Daily News and in the Alaska Journal of Commerce. That's focused on the national uh, debt issue. Here is uh, where we have gotten ourselves, where the nation has gotten it ourselves with respect to national debt. Uh, the first part of the piece uh, speaks to testimony that the director of national, the president's director of national intelligence. Uh, the head of the intelligence community, the pre- community, the president's advisor on national intelligence, gave to Congress uh, uh, earlier uh, in February. Here's what he said, or here's what we have in the in the editorial earlier this month in testimony before the U.S. now in Senate Intelligence Committee outlining the major national security threats facing the country. Former Senator Dan Coates, currently President Trump's director of the National Intelligence, said this. The failure to address our long-term fiscal situation has increased the national debt to over $20 trillion and growing. This situation is unsustainable, and these are Coates' words, represents a dire threat to our economic and national security. So the Director of National Intelligence saying national debt, growth in national debt, represents a dire threat to our economic uh, and national security. Now, certainly, national debt grew during the Obama administration, particularly during the first term, as as the country was responding to the Great Recession. It also grew some during the second term, but it was at a much lower rate uh, of growth, uh, in part because of a law passed in 2011 uh, at Republican insistence, uh, limiting p- putting statutory limits on on spending increases with the with the change in administrations and with the passage particularly of the tax act but also a budget act the budget reconciliation act or the budget act uh, earlier this year that national debt has started to grow rapidly again in fact in the, in its most recent forecast the federal office of management and budget has predicted that federal debt will grow 8.7 trillion dollars uh, between the current year and uh, the end of 10 years from now that's uh, on addition in addition to the 18 19 billion trillion dollars uh, that we already have uh, in existing debt we're going to be approaching 30 trillion dollars in national debt uh, by uh, by the end of a 10-year period that's the the, the reason for the expression of concern uh, dire concern from uh, Director uh, uh, Coates. So, as we focus on that, we're going to start turning to and, and paying increased attention to the steps that the Alaska delegation is paying, uh, is taking in trying to uh, bring this national debt under control, bring this national security issue, dire threat to national security, under control. One of the things that we started this past week. Uh, was uh, was looking at uh, announcements by various members of the, of the Alaska delegation of new spending. Senator Sullivan was sort of the first in the barrel on that, announced uh, some new spending dealing, federal spending dealing with opioid the opioid crisis. An, an important issue, uh, spending that no doubt has uh, significance and importance uh, to Alaska, but so does the national debt. And so we're going to start working on identifying um, uh, paying attention to what offsets uh, when we when when our congressional delegation announces additional increases in spending what offsets uh, they're pairing with that how they're going to avoid that increasing the national debt and then beyond that uh, not only how they're pairing offsets with increased spending how they're proposing to uh, work together with others to bring national debt down Coates's uh, Coates' advice and Coach's concern isn't just stopping where we are, it's bringing debt uh, back down to more manageable levels, and, and we explain that further uh, in the op-ed piece if you want to dig into it. But as you see us in the coming year, in the coming weeks, months, uh, years, talking about national debt issues, uh, that's the genesis of it and something that, uh, that we'll be paying close attention to. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the Weekly Top Three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us this week. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube and SoundCloud pages, and keep track of us during the week on our Facebook and Twitter feeds. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top Three.